Rita has plunged back in time and attempts to navigate the Bureau of Normalcy with help from the sisterhood of Dada. Meanwhile, Jane gives Kate Chalice her first taste of freedom, but will it be too much for her to endure? Next stop, the underground, here on Doom Patrol Radio. Oh boy, how many handkerchiefs do you think people had to go through with, uh, you know, scarlet They had the fever? one handkerchief? Just the one were handkerchief. They, were they washing it? I guess as best as they could, right? I mean, people do that now, right? With with having the same face mask and not washing it and just reusing it, hanging on their rearview mirror to sun dry and hopefully the sun kills the bacteria and virus on it. It's just bad hygiene. <laughs> Welcome back, nobodies, to your favorite Doom Patrol radio podcast, This Side of the Painting. My name is Mark. And my name is Nathan. And today we're talking about 1917 Patrol, the sixth episode of season three. Nate, we are now officially halfway, I mean, we're, we're past it now. We're in the sixth episode. We got ten episodes, past, apparently. Hang on. Past what? Oh, apparently there's only ten episodes? Okay. Yes. I thought you were, I didn't point. know that there was an ending number, and I thought you were just saying we're past it now, and I said, what, past what, one? <laughs> we're, we're past it now. I mean, we're at least, no, Nate, we're at we're least too deep, now. right? Yeah. We are We are so past it now. Um, no, today's episode, 1917 Patrol, directed by Omar Mada, who also did sex patrol which was a one of my favorite episodes from season two and then written by april fitzsimmons just one of the regular writers on doom patrol also producer for doom patrol so applause applause uh april also wrote francis patrol time patrol dad patrol one of my other favorites from season two and now 1917 patrol and i you know, how I felt about today's episode, I think, speaks a lot about the episode she normally writes for the show. And uh, in my opinion, it is a very character-driven episode. So unlike, uh, well, not to say that, yes, our last week's episode wasn't character-driven and um, a positive thing as well. But last week, we talked a lot about references to the art that influenced the writers of Doom Patrol and the comic books that influenced the episode that was adapted in last week's Dada Patrol. But this one, I don't think there really was anything too, uh, you know, pulling from the pages of the comic book. So it's not like they're taking uh, a comic book issue and adapting it. So I don't think I have much to offer on that one. But this one seems like an original story for today's episode and just a really character-driven episode for the characters that we have, which we have a lot to go through. But, But before I do... Nate, what did you think about 1917 Patrol? Uh, well, what I thought about it was I was I was I was waiting for a, a Sam Mendes movie, huh? <laughs> huh? Old World War One action, huh? Yeah, no, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I really love that um, weird seeing time travel stories and it not being like tongue in cheek time travel stories. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that is something that we can, I, I guess, talk about freely without, you know, 
uh, stuff in any shoes is just like time travel <laughs> stuff in general because it's, yeah. I mean, you got back to the future and, bef- you know, before that you had nothing. I think there was one time, uh, you had Dr. Time Who's, travel, I guess, or whatever. One little time travel Easter egg in, in today's episode that was back to the future related. Yeah. Um, but uh, like I'm saying, it's just like, it, I'm glad that it's just not like silly time travel we go back in time fix what we messed up so that the current timeline is is better what you know whatever jargon shtick that you want to do whatever time travel is very easily becoming MacGuffin territory um and it like could just open that door it's like right there you know there's two doors of time travel one is like cool original storytelling the other one's just MacGuffin fix what you you did and it's like well, we could just like I step two saying. inches to the right and go through that door, but no. Um, yeah, I I think sometimes with time travel stories, um, people, and this is more so with movies, not so so much with TV shows or TV episodes. Uh, with time travel stories, can sometimes just be you already set up the punchline, and now you're using the whole time travel thing to go and set up the reveal that you created, which is at time the travel. end of yeah. if it doesn't mean anything to the audience and. Why should I care? Exactly. Uh, I'm looking at Tenet, but you know. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes, if you just have a really good adventure, the time travel part is just a method to the madness that happens. Which um, uh, the Easter egg I was referring to for the Back to the Future Easter egg in today's episode is there's a flux capacitor mm-hmm. on this on this uh, Doom Patrol TARDIS that we have, which is another Doctor Who uh, Easter egg. Time is that travel. what they're calling, and, or is that what you're calling it? The flux capacitor or the TARDIS? The tar- you'd call it a Doom Patrol TARDIS. Is that what's... Is- it has to be. I mean, that's what. there's no other name for it. And they already, they already hit uh, Michelle Gomez with the Doctor Who joke. Okay. So all right. we're in it. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I'll give it you to gotta you. You got to love in it. You got to love it. it. I was thinking that there would be something cooler, like more gothic romancy that you could attribute to the name because of the spires on top. You know, I'm surprised they haven't named the device yet, but maybe, uh, maybe a certain character will in the future. But uh, yeah, this uh, I, one of the time travel tropes that I was kind of expecting in today's episode was that Rita Farr was going to conceive the idea of the sisterhood of Dada by creating a paradox of like rounding up these metahumans and giving them the idea and giving them the name of, of sisterhood of Dada, which would create the paradox of what is, what does Dada even mean? Mm -hmm. We don't know because someone from the future came and told us that name and they got that name from us, which is bootstrap theory. And then that's, yeah, which creates a paradox. And that also create, that creates that kind of uh, notorious uh, creation of the, of the term Dada. No one really knows where that, where that term comes from. And that would have been, the perfect uh, fictional paradox for that creation. Um, that doesn't happen in today's episode. The, the sisterhood of Dada has already been established by the time uh, Rita Farr or Bendy uh, enters the picture, the moving pictures, as they say, in 1917. Um, and the talkies. It, it, the, the talkies, there you go. I'm I don't sorry. think they were talkies at that point yet. Uh, yeah, because they were silent films. Mm. You're right. Um, yeah, so uh, just a really good character-driven episode. There is a lot of characters to get into on this one. I'm curious to hear what you thought about each uh, kind of character arc that we go through. Um, first character 
that I have a big question about, and I don't know if you have an answer for it, Nate, but who the hell is Shipley? I don't know. I really don't know, who? and I'm trying to, and there's probably, we could we could probably listen to the voice more and figure out who it is, or we're just dumb and filled our brains with so much other stuff that someone's name from a previous episode just slipped by. Yeah. Um, because we I, called the Malcolm one. We called I, the Malcolm we, one. Yeah. When we did a Dead Boy Detective Patrol episode, Dead Patrol, um, it was like, okay, well, Mika Joe Parker's in the special cast or guest appearances, and he plays a character that's named Malcolm, and it's the only character in today's episode that, or in that episode that we didn't know about. So we said, okay, then he must be this Malcolm character. And we... I think you and I assumed that maybe it was her opposite when she was filming Forbidden Congo in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that character also was affected when that character jumped into the river to rescue her. But that's not the case here. Uh, so Mika Joe Parker is playing Malcolm, and we'll get into who his character is in a bit. But there is no last name for Malcolm. And he's a big character in today's episode. So my guess is maybe it's Malcolm Shipley. Like that's his last name. And we are. He doesn't have a last name though. Unless Unless... it's just like a thing that they're doing for the show, which is very possible. Yeah. Which there. Yeah. There's a lot of that in today's. uh, Man, we have a lot of characters to go through for sure. Because they did do that with a character uh, and creates kind of uh, comic book history for the first time. So, uh, no idea who Shipley is. Shipley starts the episode narrating what happens to Rita Farr as she time travels back to 1917 and gives us a whole rundown of the character, her past from season one all the way up to season three, and all this growth and progression that we've had with the character it's a huge Rita Farr episode, and if you are a fan of Rita Farr, you are going to love this episode. If you're not a fan of Rita Farr, uh, then get out. And why are you still watching the show? I mean, it's it's one of the best characters that they have ever adapted from comic books. They do they handle this character so well. April Bowlby, like her in this season, and Michelle Gomez, like their energy has been. At 200%, they are doing some stuff in this show that is just an amazing performance. Even like the, the somber moments, the the co- comedic timing that uh, April Bowlby has in the whole show, but really in today's episode is is some of the highlights of, of, of today's episode. So yeah, uh, we had this Shipley character um, going about just narrating what has happened to Rita Farr and then showing that her memory is being lost. So this person is speaking as if they are aware of what's happened to um, Rita Farr with, within the time machine. So um, it's a big question mark on who that character is. If, if anyone wants to look closer into it, um, I tried looking into Doom Patrol comics, um, anything regarding DC comics for a Shipley type character i even looked up the voice actor who or not voice actor but the person who was narrating shipley in the episode was eric pasoja um and or pasoja maybe i'm mispronouncing that but that is not the same person who plays malcolm in this episode 
So again, I have no idea who this uh, Shipley character could be. Uh, so I leave it to the listeners to probably find it out for us or maybe wait until next episode and then they'll tell us uh, what the deal is. But uh, some other characters that are in today's episode. Uh, we get <laughs> we get Monsieur Mala and Brain back again in today's episode as soon as she pops out of that time capsule uh, or time machine. In the middle of Iowa, Nate, I forgot how easily it would be to insert Monsieur Mala and Brain into any scenario because it is just CGI and voice acting. And boy, oh boy, you could put a tin can in an automobile with an umbrella and just shoot film and be like, okay, we'll just add a voice to that later. Uh, what a, what a, just, I didn't even think we were going to see Brain again so quickly. But man, honestly, we saw Brain back in episode two. So it's already been four episodes. Yeah. Why am I surprised to see them back already? Um, I don't know. I don't know. But we got to see that one. So let's not forget that there is a brain shell in uh, where Jason Clay is working, where like the old yes. Patrol is. So that's still, keep that in mind. I don't know if it, it doesn't have to do with anything. Just like, let's just keep that in mind because we don't know mm-hmm. where the brain is right now. Yes. Little hints to what's going on later on in the episode, but yeah, I'm ecstatic to see Mala on the brain. And this moment that we have with them in the car doing the notes, like taking down, just being them is so them. It is so from book to screen, it really is. Uh, I'm so excited. I just want more. I want more of, of Mala in the brain. I, I, I can't, I, it's so hard to put into words how excited it is. Something that silly, that like really only existed in cartoons and comic books for me. And it's like, yes, I get to see more. I get to see a, a Monster Mala and the brain storyline unfold mm-hmm. in live action television. That's cool. And it's not in a cartoon. It's not in a Justice League 20 minute episode and then be done with it, you know, because next week's got to have a new episode. It's not, it's character growth and it's just more of of what i love about the show and about these the story these characters oh it's so good it really is yeah. it reminded me a lot of when they were talking about um uh, uh in the beginning of volume one of grant morrison's um or at the end of it really when they're making the uh robot man 2.0 body to put in the brain they have the brain mala has the brain in the uh the the stroller and they're just like going about every day just going around walking around yes that's the feel that it got me and it was like yeah that's perfect it really is just too good yeah yeah i think we should i I think we should get into it because that now would be the best time to talk about uh brain and monster mala and what and what we think is going on with these characters um but i i i think it's just it's so easy. Like I can't, I can't be like, oh, why would they be in the middle of Iowa? That's like the ridiculous part of of Doom Patrol and really just Brain and Monster Mala and all of the DC universe that we've ever talked about them. And it, it, of course, it's so silly that they would just happen to be in rural Iowa to to witness Rita Farr crawling out of this uh, Doom Patrol time machine and just being like, I want that time machine. Uh, 
and Monster Mala and Brain going back and forth having this conversation. Um, and it's it's so effortless. It's such a good concept. It's such a good idea. It, the way that it's translated onto screen with just having Brain in the backseat of this uh, Oldsmobile and the, the little black umbrella, ha- creating just like this gothic picture of Monster Mala. It, it's almost like a work of art itself, like something straight out of a, a Tim Burton uh, picture where you just have this butler-esque gorilla i mean that's i'm monster mala is much more than that but just the idea the concept of what this shot looks like uh, on tv seeing that the first time when i was watching this episode was pure joy pure bliss to see these characters again so um yeah I, this is brain in a proto brain carriage uh not the one that we see him uh in in episode two vacay patrol he's in a much older uh much more um how would you say like industrial type he's got like actual light bulbs like screwed into the front of him he's got like a different kind of uh he's all like tesla out yeah exactly like a very more retro very more silver age uh brain and um then like it's also kind of interesting thinking about Monsieur Mala because Monsieur Mala is French. And right now we are in 1917. There is World War One going on. Uh, we, we are in Iowa. Yes, we're not in Europe where the war is happening. But the Sisterhood of Dada, the, the movement that is Dadaism, is a French movement. So it's the avant-garde movement of the 1920s as well. And so it's interesting to think about the Brotherhood of Evil having a French background. Uh, normally, Brain is French as well. Am I correct or am I, am I forgetting myself here? Normally, has like a French accent, right? Or has French background. Um, but just you know, I don't the, know. the Brotherhood of Evil uh, having a French connection and then the Sisterhood of Dada having a French connection as well. It's interesting the uh, dichotomy or something <laughs> you want to watch it after this we can um, what a great movie no let's watch the winter soldier instead <laughs> yeah let's just do that instead uh yeah the dichot- the dichotomy of the origin uh these two characters is interesting so keep that in mind as well but uh yeah mento and joshua clay they have a brain carriage and one of the interesting things that happened in today's episode, uh, you and I caught this almost immediately as it happened, uh, is Robot Man is pretty much going on an internet binge. He's, he's doing what all of us did during the pandemic, which is have three monitors set up and about two games on each side and social media, I guess. Uh, not exactly what Robot Man is doing, but man, that man is uh, dopamined out in today's episode. And is full of a lot of lowbrow humor as robot man usually is um but he's he's, he gets the sideline in this episode he doesn't get much uh much growth much progression in today's episode he does recap himself as well to let us know all of the trials and tribulations he's been through um but during the midst of all the humor that he's going on about he sells the plans for his robot body that he has to a fuzzy rim job 69 
And boy, oh boy, does that sound pretty damn obvious, doesn't it, Nate? That sounds very obvious. Uh, probably a uh, kind of a hint to the relationship that Monsieur Mala and Brain mm-hmm. have as well. In the Coitus cre- with creation. a gorilla is what you're trying to, to get at, yeah? Yeah, trying to infer. Okay. Who knows? Uh, you got 100 years to spend with a gorilla. Damn well desperate, right? But yes, um, it'd be, it'd be, uh, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get gross. So I'm uh, I'm curious to see if Robot Man 2.0 will finally make an appearance in today's or in in this season. And um, uh, well, boy, I I don't know what to expect f- for how this season is going to end. But I I have a guess. So we'll have to look forward into that. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add for the the Robot Man arc that we got in it's today's just, episode? I I, I see so much of myself in him in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a good thing? Uh, yeah, why not? Um, no, the dude's the dude's hard at work. I mean, he's streaming. He's gaming. He's paying a streamer, which is like, what? What's so? What's the concept there? So he's paying Ginger, the cam girl, to just sit there. She's like just taking the token stuff like that. And he's just like, all right, she's just there keeping me company. That's it. She's he's what he's the one watching the cam show. He's not the streamer. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's more of a cam show, not a not a Twitch streamer. Right. It's not it's not so, she's not streaming. Yeah. It's it's more of like a obviously it's a kid. It's a kid. Yeah, it's a cam it's a cam show. Yeah, it's a cam show. Back back in the day when it was just that. Back when in they the were, day. Back in the day when it was a little bit more obvious what you were what you were getting into instead of uh hot simping tubs and on, video games. Yeah, hot, yeah, simping on Twitch and and pretending like you're just watching someone play video games and it's like at least Robot Man's a little bit more into hey, at least his own up element. to it. If you want to hear yeah. somebody slurp on a mic, then say you want to hear somebody slurp on a mic. If you're into that weird ASMR, just admit your your sexual kink, right? Uh, no kink shame here. Yeah, no, just admit it. Uh, Robot <laughs> Man is 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 so off we the rails. We'll pass around the ideas, you know, we'll springboard <laughs> off of each other. You show me websites, I'll show you websites. Yeah, I'll show you that ytmnd.com. They got <laughs> gets the dopamine flowing real quick. It does, um, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. So it's it's just a really comedic uh, little subplot that happens with mm-hmm. Robot Man. Basically, I think that was the takeaway for his his arc and the seeds that they were planting for what happens later on in the season. Uh, but besides that, uh, he s- starts to sell everyone's stuff, which I think that's how it kind of leads into the. Oh, whoops! You also sold the plans to your robot body. I wonder what's going to happen with that. Um, but um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of guest characters. I don't I don't have Ginger's uh, casting in here. I don't even know if that was her name really. Um, but uh, so, so we make sure we make sure we name the the cam. This is what I thought was. Uh, yeah, make sure we make sure we give her credit. Hey, credits where credit credits too. I mean, really. Oh, here we go. Yeah, it's Libby real work. Blake. I looked it up. Congratulations, uh, congrats, uh, Libby Blake. Uh, one of the guest appearances that I thought was weird that they were not included, and I'm wondering if it was an error. I'm going based off the episode itself. So once you see the end of the episode, and you're scrolling through the credits, and you're like, oh, I wonder who was the guest appearances in today's episodes. Um, a lot of them are obvious. First one is John Getz, who plays Paul Trainer. Um, first of all, I'm wondering if that name is a reference to Paul Kupperberg, the person who started uh, 
rebooting the 1986 run of Doom Patrol before Grant Morrison took over. So I'm wondering if that name is a uh, reference to that writer. And then uh, the other guest appearances was Mika Joe Parker, Malcolm, which we'll get into next. Wynn Everett, uh, reprising the role as Shelley Byron, a.k.a. The Fog. Um, uh, Shelley Byron's character kind of taking the uh, equal role among the Sisterhood of Dada. Whereas in last episode, she seemed like kind of like the leader of the Sisterhood of Dada. And I really liked the uh, the change in pace for the character in this one, where she's not really leading and, and being as, um, uh, uh, how would you say, like pretentious bullshit in this episode. She's part of the group, and so she feels like an equal among them. Like No one really feels like the chief, which is a, a really good thing for them. I re- um, when you're thinking about the group dynamic of the sisterhood of Dada and how much care and love they have and, and support for, for all of them. Um, Miles Musendin returns as Lloyd Jefferson, a.k.a. Frenzy. This man continues to say powerful words in a way that seems just like the right thing to hear right when you need to hear it. Um, Anita Kalatara, she returns as Holly McKenzie, a.k.a. Sleepwalk. As soon as Rita Farr mentioned her name, Holly, in this episode, that's when it hit me where I was like, wait a minute. This is the same person from last episode. Um... And it was she got a lot more screen time this episode. She seemed like the most prominent in today's episode as, as far as screen time. And really enjoyed seeing Sleepwalk not sleeping. You got to really enjoy who the character was and how sound of mind she is. How um, kind of in the right direction she's in. And she's kind of like the, the voice of reason in today's episode. Um, and here was the other name that uh, we talked about might be uh, a first for Doom Patrol. We have Gina Hiraizumi playing Sachiko, a.k.a. The Quiz. And Sachiko, for the first time, The Quiz has a name because The Quiz in Doom Patrol has never been named before. It was a mysterious person. We never had a name for the character before. So in today's episode, they were calling her Sachiko, which would imply that The Quiz has a real name. And so I thought this was interesting. Where did the name come from? How are they just going to create a name for the character without knowing uh, what the name was before? So I looked it up. Sachiko, Japanese translation, child of bliss. I like that. I think it's a really cool reference to what's going on with the sisterhood of Dada in general. And I think it's also a nice kind of um, spin on the character quiz because the quiz is known to be a germaphobe has a phobia of dirt and so that's why she's constantly wearing a mask and in last week's episode she was in that glass case with an oxygen mask as well because she has a germaphobia so being a child of bliss is kind of like a neat uh spin uh where it's like how could she be blissful if she's always afraid of the outside world so um and then here's where it gets weird so we kick it over to the Crazy Jane subplot. We're not going to dive into it just yet, but we have special appearances by Catherine Carlin playing Dr. Harrison, which is probably the biggest antagonist in uh, Kay Chalice's mind now that Miranda has fallen down the well. Uh, and Charity 
Cervantes, who plays Isabel Feathers, who I don't think was in today's episode at all. And if people don't remember who Isabel Feathers is, that was the woman in the play playing Rita Farr in Our Town. The she, Cloverton. Was she, she showed up. Uh, Rita's going back in time. She's doing the whole Wizard of Oz tornado back in time. There's a chihuahua flying in the air. Oh, the Taco Bell dog. Yes, yeah. okay. Oh, the but, Taco Bell dog. Yeah. When I see a chihuahua, I don't. Uh, it's not a chihuahua. It's, it's a Taco Bell dog. The Taco Bell dog. Yeah, it's like when you see Beverly Hills Chihuahuas. You know that movie, the movie that got like a sequel, and I call it Beverly Hills Taco Bell dog. Oh, you mean the the shining star in the uh, litany of George Lopez material? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so that answers my question because I was wondering why she got a guest appearance credit at the end of today's episode but not Hannah Aline, who plays Pretty Polly. And boy, does Pretty Polly have some screen time in today's episode, and I was wondering why. And then second, where is her guest appearance credit? That seemed to me like one of the first characters that should have gotten um, like at least a credit, because she has more lines than Dr. Harrison does, even though Dr. Harrison is kind of steering the ship against Crazy Jane. Uh, Pretty Polly is is on screen. She has a lot of screen time. She looks great in that that makeup and wardrobe. Looks like they're really like like okay, yeah, this is one of the personalities of Crazy Jane. We really want to show some of these other personalities. But Pretty Polly didn't get credit, and I'm still kind of confused on uh, if there's going to be something that happens with the character. So um, Pretty Polly is, is in is so many episodes of Doom Patrol. She's been in the entire three seasons of the show. Uh, we still don't know what her, um, abilities are, but we do know that she's a, a play off the Pretty Polly poem, which, um, I think she falls in love with someone. And then that person that she falls in love with is the cause of her murder. And so as a ghost, she haunts for revenge. And that's what the poem is about. So I'm wondering if like her um, mindset as a character is is based around this concept of of revenge or n- not trusting people. So I'm just connecting the dots. Is Pretty Polly supposed to be a reference to Bloody Mary? Not Bloody Mary. Pretty Polly, the poem. Is it? It's a, it's a it's it's a poem in and of itself. This is like we a, talked about this in season one. This is dumb. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty um, Polly by Jane Springer. I had okay, to look up cool. the author. So fun fact about uh, I don't know why. It's not even a fun fact, but if you notice on like the poster for this season, um, where it shows Jane at the bottom, it shows some personas, and in those is like Hammerhead, Pretty Polly, uh, Doctor H, and someone else. Um, is it the secretary or Hammerhead? S- secretary Hammerhead's also in there. Um, okay, maybe even K, but but yeah, like it shows these mm. these characters, uh, you know, at least on the poster. So a lot of screen time, I would assume. Yeah, the character got a lot of screen time in today's episode. No credit for it. I'm, um, I, I, I want to assume that Pretty Polly will be used by Doctor Harrison for something, uh, and they are kind of leading into it. Or maybe you know, maybe April just really liked the character and wanted the character to have. If anyone was going to bring exposition into the mind of Crazy Jane and Kate Chalice, uh, if some character has to go up and talk to her without it being Doctor Harrison. She April was probably just like, well, I like Pretty Polly. Just put her in more things. So maybe that's it. And maybe I'm thinking too much about it. Um, but that 
is most of all the important characters. Um, Nate, I want to kick it off to you. Which character do you want to start to talk about first? Do you want to talk about what happens to Rita Farr and Laura DeMille in today's episode? Do you want to talk about Cyborg, what happens with Larry Trainer, or what happens to Kay Chalice? Let's start with Larry Trainer, just because it's there's not that much. There's um, a good resolve to a relationship, but uh, I think we should save the you know, at least the Rita stuff for the bulk of what we're discussing. But let's kick it off, uh, I guess, quickly with uh, with Larry Trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like that uh, Paul is uh, healed from the fog madness or the, the madness of Dada, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, which is good. You know, that's cool. Um, so he, uh, you know, wasn't thankful at all. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what you, the, now, yeah, now get out. It's it's <laughs> yeah. really so like I guess you, we just got to roll with the punches here and you know um we don't need to be obviously spoon-fed in these moments but I guess roll with the punches of now that Paul has seen the weirdness of what all is around um that it should just be a universal acceptance that he is one accepted that his father Larry Trainer is a radioactive thing that this agency is after. Um, and then on top of that, go work with the agency. These are This is a conversation that Paul eventually says to Larry of saying, like, look, it was all right in front of me. I don't know why it, you know, didn't take, I don't know why it took this long for me to start working with them. But it's kind of just like in, in the in the writing in the wall, you know, uh, all this crazy weirdness. It just, I'm kind of, I guess, uh, gravitated towards working in that field. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so what happens in in this episode is the fact that despite Larry taking care of him until he's better, he still does not accept the oddities that are Larry Trainer and, and and his universe, so his life around him. Paul is still very much like, no, I signed up to be part of the Bureau of Normalcy because I choose to believe in that. So he doesn't accept. Larry Trainer for who he is still and disregards him as a father. Do you think um do you think that they will eventually? Do you think that should be where they go or do you think it's it's a dead end for for the these two characters? I don't know in relation to Paul, um but I think that it is it all falls back to Larry and the whole harmony of of the negative spirit and, and mm. it mm-hmm. residing in him. Paul or not Paul, Larry is still back at, he needs to fix himself and look inside mm-hmm. himself and, and deal with all that stuff. So this is just more of that storyline resolving, um, for Larry to, to be harmonized, uh, you know, to be, to be one and to accept the negative spirit or, or whatever it is and, and everything in his life and accept all of that. Um, so I think it's just more of Larry's journey of of being okay with who he is. Um, yeah. You know, because I can't speak for Paul. And Larry can't speak for Paul. He's like, okay, you're going to go do what you do. But you can't take away that I'm still your father. And damn it, that echoes in my brain very horridly. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, but yeah, I he's, say, yeah. <laughs> he's... I do right. like what he said, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I kind of have to... Mm, and it sounds weird to agree with, but I like the way that they wrote 
Paul Trainer and Larry Trainer, especially Larry Trainer. Let's let's start with him because that's that's the easiest one. Uh, the, uh, to me, the best takeaway line for what happens with, with Larry Trainer is when he says, "You don't have to forgive me, but I forgive myself," which is a huge statement. I thought that was one of the best lines written in today's episode where he says that because I think I think a lot of people are starting to do that now uh, mentally with themselves. You know, we don't have to seek forgiveness for what's happened to us. But, you know, he's been fighting an uphill battle ever since the accident. And so to forgive himself for everything that's happened uh, to him and not being able to be a good father for his children, because just because his sexuality did not reflect his marriage does not make him a bad father. He can still be a great father if he could have been there for his children. So when he says that he forgives himself, I think that was a huge power move for Larry Trainer, and I think that is a step in the right direction uh, to have that uh, wholesomeness for the character himself. Larry Trainer, the negative man and the negative spirit. I think mm-hmm. that's a great move. I have something to say here, and I yes. feel embarrassed to uh, to. Hey, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but that that Chihuahua that's flying in that in that time machine is that Diane's dog. Is that Diane's dog? We'll have to look. Mm. Now, I don't, it doesn't need to be a derail moment, but that, it could be, that could be Penny. Penny's a dog's name, I think, is if I'm correct on. Yeah. Very she's... creepily following Instagram, I guess. I don't know if that's a. Well, I mean, you follow Instagram, you follow your favorite celebrities, and um, I know. <laughs> Who doesn't like follow celebrities and like start to know their pet names, right? I don't know. Like, because I mean, if I. We all do it, right? We have Instagram just to give our pets Instagrams as well. So, uh, yeah, no, I good call on that one. I, you know, I was watching the Rita Far time machine thing going, I don't understand what any of these people are that are flying by. So maybe you're right. Maybe that is Diane's dog has a, has a cameo in today's episode. That would Mm -hmm. actually be very easy to do. Um, right. Just green screen the dog, just standing there. (laughs) Just, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the So then kicking it back over to Paul. This is the one that I was kind of like weirdly like I can't be mad at you. I can be mad at your bigotry, right? I can be upset. But I, I, I admire April writing in that the character chooses to seek normalcy in this world full of oddities. That the character is like, no, I, I volunteer. Like I enlisted to fix the oddities that are that are weird because my life needs or or, or believes in normalcy like you guys have to be normal this is an illness we must fix you guys metahumans need to be cured this is going back to doom patrol and x-men and all that other comic book goodness of politics um but what paul stands for what he chooses to believe in uh dictates his character which is why he cannot forgive his father for the way he is and for who he is, um, which is a reflection of both homosexuality and the comic book side of being a, a, a metahuman freak. It's that duality that he chooses um, to, to not agree with him because it goes against his beliefs of normalcy. Uh, that, to me, was a great thing to write for the character. And so when the character said all that in, in the episode, I was like, yeah, this is exactly the mind of a person like Paul who represents the Bureau of Normalcy in a truly um, bigot way 
not so much like um darren jones who is the head of, of bureau of normalcy and he was kind of like chaotically normal in the sense of the way grant morrison wrote darren jones in in doom patrol um that is like a a parody of 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 normalcy whereas paul really is today's modern american view of of what normalcy is and choosing to believe in that and anything against that is is downright evil so i really did enjoy um how they wrote paul in today's episode mm-hmm. um let's he's kick out. it over yeah he's out i if he doesn't come back i'm cool with that because there really doesn't need to be a forced moment of paul seeing the error of his ways i think it's better for larry to just kind of accept himself for who he is and to move on and if that includes the exclusion of Paul Trainer, I think that's a healthy decision, more so than something happening to Paul and then going over to, to rescue Paul. Paul dies, but in his death he says, you know what, I accept you for who you are, and then exits stage left. It's just one of those things I don't need to see, and, and we don't need to force a, a happy ending like that, quote-unquote happy ending. Yeah. So if this is the end of Paul Trainer, I, I like that better. Um, let's kick it over to Cyborg. This one is, is a continuation of last week's episode. This one's pretty heavy duty. Um, he really starts to struggle with his privilege. He really starts to question it. He's always believed himself to be Cyborg. He always, uh, he even questioned, uh, if he is Cyborg enough, uh, for the job and to be a hero and to be considered a hero and what it all entails and, We've seen a huge uh, uphill battle of just him and his father and his identity as Cyborg. But now um, Frenzy, Milo Musendin's character, uh, has had him question his privilege and his status as a person in society, regardless of race, um, but also weighing in the race of others and, and, and the status that they have in society. Um this one, this this was a progression of of the Ronnie Evers arc as well, I think, in my mind, because he has to struggle with his identity before he tries to be a hero for her. You know what I mean? Like, he's still thinking like, oh, I did what I did because I believe she's still a good person and I can do these things because I'm a hero and I'm the good guy and I can see the good in others. And Frenzy is like, do you? Do you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and who you are in this situation? You fell in love with Ronnie. We know that for sure. So, of course, you're going to do what you think is right for her because you love her. But also think of everyone else that's behind bars that deals with things, all the other Ronnie Evers that you're not in love with. Do you feel the same for them, Mr. Superhero? And so he does battle with that in today's episode. and He thinks about what his mother told him. Um, I had a really good time with this one. I think this was a beautiful uh, character plot for Cyborg. I really did enjoy it. I'm curious to see where they go with the synthetic uh, skin, that surgery that he might end up getting. Um, And I'm also curious who Dr. Chalmers is. But Nate, what did you think about the Cyborg arc? Um, it's, It's always good to see Cyborg heartfelt moments between Cyborg and his mother 
you know, mm-hmm. be it it was the, the the ghost voice that he was, you know, hearing as he climbed up that rock and actually did find those rocks that she would put under the tree. Um, I think it's excellent to just see this this side of Cyborg where he is questioning himself and his ability and what he is. Um, Cyborg has has the the question of, "Am I the hammer or the nail?" and <laughs> like. It, yeah. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. Like that is so good. <laughs> I've never thought about Cyborg questioning like where he stands as just a being and what he is or why he is. And it's just that question of why are you where it's that sort of conundrum that you can give to a being like Cyborg half man, half human, or half machine, whatever you want to call it, and then actually pose that question of why and have all the analytical answers of, like, I am because it saved my life, I am because the scientists had this plan, I am because my father was in this position to do this to me, I am because I have the ability to be a superhero. It's like, yes, but you're not breaking down why you, what you see yourself as. And that was Mm -hmm. always something that, I guess I just took it cyborg cyborg at face value, whereas like he sees himself as the hero. He's a superhero. He's cyborg. Yeah, he had mm-hmm. you know past uh, troubles and whatnot, overcame them. He's part of the Justice League. He's cyborg. He's a hero. He's an inspiration. Yada yada yada. All that good stuff. But again, these are things that I really enjoy exploring with these comic book characters. Are the bad things, and some of those bad things are the these types of questions. Just the mind boggling questions of why do you exist who are you what is your purpose you know that's why people love the shit out of Watchmen too because it gives you those types of conundrums and just like the bad side of heroics I guess Um, just like real real world scenarios that are just so heavy hitting cyborg now I'm all for Um, I really can't wait to see what his path is that he chooses um, he's obviously trying to get more information about synthetic skin, yeah, which is cool and all. Um, but I think he's got more internal things to address instead of just how he looks on the outside. And that's something that he needs to figure out on his own. You know, yeah. that's that's the thing you want to change the outside. You cover it up so other people aren't so offended, and that will in turn make you feel better about yeah. yourself, right? I think he's wrestling with the indifference of of what a good person is, and. Yeah, you know, he's, right and he, wrong. Well, right and wrong, but and so like let's if you look at it in regards to okay, he's wrestling with the idea of is he a weapon created by Star Labs or whoever the DOD if they want to use him as a superhero? Is he a hero or is he a instrument of the government? And then when even when you get past that point, and you go, no, the decisions I make are for good. They're ethically good decisions uh well good for who who are you helping what is good what is what is when you decide to make a choice as a superhero as cyborg who is the recipient of that good deed are you doing it for america are you doing it for the government is it a patriotic good is it good for the impoverished is it good for the people like miles mcsendon's character sorry uh lloyd uh forgot his last name frenzy lloyd jefferson frenzy yeah but i'm trying to refer to him as more as a person instead of just the metahuman so 
when you think of all the Lloyd Jeffersons and Ronnie Evers that are out there, is Cyborg using his abilities, his choices that can have effects on society? Is he doing it for the true fixation of, of what is corrupt with the world, which then goes, bleeds back into the eternal flagellation that the dot, that the, that the sisterhood of Dada are trying to do, which is, um, take an aggressive stance against the corruption of the modern world. Um, and so that's what he's really wrestling with. Like what do superheroes do that is good? And is it good for those people or is it just good for, uh, the government that tells them that, that they have to stop evil and what is evil, right? So, um, it's a, it's a really good kind of think piece that he's doing here. And I'm curious to see, uh, where that, where that goes into. Um, and then let's, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about crazy Jane here. Cause I think she's our second to last one to talk about. Uh, I didn't expect this one, Nate. <laughs> Gay Chalice taking the train on Interstate 8 straight up to the top. Uh, Kate Chalice, for the first time in our series, um, is the one in control of herself. And I did not know what to expect of this episode. I was so scared that something was going to go wrong. And I think that's the point. I think you're supposed to be scared about what happens in today's episode. Um, but man, did I not expect it to happen? And I, I enjoy the way that they kind of direct how Kay Chalice looks when she's on the outside versus how Crazy Jane looks when she's on the inside. Um, what did you think about the Crazy Jane arc in today's episode? It had me nervous. I thought, um, I thought I thought she was going to get in trouble for stealing that bike. Honestly, I thought there was going to be some yeah. sort of confrontation that was bigger than what really happened. Honestly. Um, it was it was scary, but it felt great. It was really cool how Jane explained it where it was like you just watched a girl who was stuck inside her head for 70 years learn how to ride a bike. Like mm-hmm. that little bit of joy, that's worth the risk. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Um it felt awesome. It really did. I I really enjoyed the colors uh of everything that was happening on on that moment. Um it's cool how it still keeps that like uh, sepia tone when Jane is like looking through the uh, the view port. I don't know what the hell that thing's called where you look through the. Isn't that what those things are called? Viewport. That sounds like a spaceship term from those, Star Wars. Uh, those New York City binoculars you got on yeah, the top whatever. of the tower. <laughs> yeah, those things. Um, I just like the the colors and the tone of it all. It's cool. That bike had some sick colors to it. That was a cool bike. I want that bike. Um, but yeah, I felt good for Kay. She's healing, obviously. Um, it's it's it makes me nervous when when Jane says things like, you know, we're a construct. This is helping her get better, knowing that if she gets better, there's no need for you constructs. So you are mm-hmm. done. So Jane is like actively working to stop the personas, I guess. Um, but ultimately to help Kay heal, which is her job. Yeah. Um, her it's role, a, I should say. It's a weird parallel to Tron in the sense of like, okay, and I know that's a stretch because you're thinking about something that's like a network and it's digital, but I mean, hey, the brain is a computer as well. So you have all these pers- personalities and they have jobs. They have functions on what to do 
now that they've been created. And Kate Chalice is healing. So yes, personalities should be closing off. They should be no longer needed because Kate Chalice is starting to be her own primary again. She is who she is and who she thinks she is. And that's one of the things I kind of expected in today's episode is maybe Pretty Polly or some of the other characters were going to start actually disappearing because they are no longer needed. I didn't know if that was something they, they were going to do in today's episode. But that idea is still on the table that at any moment, if Kate Chalice feels like Dr. Harrison is no longer needed, that character would be closed out. Um, and that would be a sense of healing. And to, to those personalities, that's scary because your existence is being deleted because the character is healing. And the finality of that that life that you have as a personality I, of course it would be scary because we don't know what to expect when that happens. Is that going to be a good ending for you or a bad one? Obviously, initially, you're going to think that's a terrifying death for yourself. So, of course, they're freaking out. But at Crazy Jane being the strongest one, I think she understands the importance of Kay healing and why that needs to happen regardless if she wants it to happen or not. I'm sure Crazy Jane wants to keep existing if she could, but she knows that that implies that Kay Chalice never heals which would be their purpose, um, right? So it's a, it, it's a, I understand the conversation, obviously, um, but I, I really am expecting some of these characters to start disappearing. And um, you're right. When we saw Kay Chalice go uh, up top and, and, and explore the real world, I did think that my, one of my fears was that she herself was going to get in trouble and she was going to, for the first time, uh, experience something that would be her fault, like stealing someone's bicycle, right? And then being confronted. And it's not so much like, um, oh, I need my personality to come come defend me for against someone who is a bad person, but maybe I'm, I've done something wrong and I don't know how to deal with it. So my personalities might... Um, might switch places with me and they'll they'll show up and and try to defend me for something that I need to accept was my fault as I try to actually grow as a human being for the first time. So um, curious to see that as well. And to bring it back to Tron uh, again was uh, the character Korra from Tron Legacy. I kind of thought about her uh, because when I first saw Tron Legacy at the very end, that Korra character is uh, like a digital asset that is brought into the real world and so for the first time that character is feeling sunlight on her face as as they drive uh out of frame uh and the movie ends that way and i thought the same thing with kate chalice as she's riding that bicycle and thinking wow kate chalice is feeling sunlight on her like i could feel the air around her and like the environment that she's in it's like you are really outside right now you feel it all like that is you for the first time um, not having an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. You are in the moment. You are living memory right now. And so when she brings that bicycle back... Not a back, cell phone in sight. Not a cell phone in sight. You are correct. Uh, she brings that bicycle back with her into the underground. And it's a memory that she can hold on to of a great time that she's had being up up there in the real world. And, and, and when she felt the sunlight, when she felt the bristles of the bike handle um, and just, you know, just the time that she had and, and meeting someone who was like a cisgendered male who wasn't 
uh, actually, uh, you know, not to say they're a good person or a bad person, but just didn't make any shitty decisions when when confronting her from crossing the street, you know? Like, that was um, something that she can hold on to, that she did have a conversation with a with a person, with a, with a man, and it didn't lead to a negative situation. So um, just a huge, fantastic memory, positive memory for Kate Childs as she grows as a character. I was going to mention the uh, the person that she was confronted with, the uh, the person that stopped her from riding the bike into the street. I wasn't sure if that person itself was supposed to be a triggering figure to Kate Chalice. I didn't know if that person was supposed to resemble the daddy figure. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was. That's why I was like, oh, this is like all bad things mixed into one. This is a triggering moment here, especially with someone with a PTSD, you know, type that, that Kay w- would probably, you know, have or experience or anything like that. Um, so I really did think that it was going to be an extremely bad triggering moment, but uh, complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> Which is, that's storytelling right there. Yeah. A really good subversion uh, for the growth of Kay Chalice, being able to um, get through a situation like that. It, it's not the end to that. Obviously, she'll be dealing with that for the rest of her life, but that's that's the constant battle that you have to have when dealing with trauma, when dealing with post-traumatic stress. Um, it's, yeah, it was a really good uh, scenario that April wrote for today's episode. Um, I do want to mention one thing, just backtrack a little bit, just because I was randomly scrolling through the playhead of this of this episode and um uh when cliff uh, just a cliff part when he's uh, uh trying to sell things on on ebay and everything and all the stuff is scattered around the desk and and whatnot um it shows like his screens and everything two things one on his screen that he's playing poker his like avatar is like a tin man character i don't know if you can see it but it's like a silvered body it looks like a silver surfer but it looks like the the type of like uh avatar that you can create on like the world poker tour website and stuff it has like the 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 cartoon bodies or whatever the hell it is it looks like that's like the best that you can get to make a robot man type person um if you want to look at a uh, if you want to look at a timestamp, it'd be like at 46 31 that's what I was looking at earlier. I was looking at when he was selling the merchandise, and yeah. I could see some um, of the merchandise is obvious. It's like some Rita Far posters and and some old records that look like they would probably be worth a lot of money uh, if I did the research. Um, you got Vic's shoes. You got I think those are like flight patches or some sort of patches from Larry. Uh, like the the different like colors thing. Like yeah, they got to be like jacket patches for military service or whatever. Um, yeah. but also there's like tin canisters, uh, by that, that end monitor. And those, the only thing that those remind me of is in the army, you would get these things. And in Saving Private Ryan, there was that scene of the guy picking up the dirt, labeling the dirt from where he was from oh. in the battle. So I'm thinking like, maybe this is like something of that nature. Cliff's trying to sell t- dirt from like 1945 from france i was thinking yeah or maybe like mres because people there's a there's a subculture yeah, out there that's for 
weird, but yeah, <laughs> it's not really. I kind of I I do enjoy watching people uh, crack open an old M- MRE and uh, putting it out on a nice tray. So <laughs> um, let's kick it over to let's actually talk about the 1917 now. Let's uh just real quick. We won't talk too much about it, but. We'll talk. We'll kind of generalize it, like we yeah, did. Yeah, right. The, the movie of- came out in 2019. It's a war movie. It's got- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's got Benny Cumberbatch in it. All right, you with me? Yeah. If you want something like that, go watch Wonder Woman. It's a great 1917 movie of, of superheroes, a a uh, superhero and, and her uh, Wonder Men. Anyways, uh, Rita Farr in or, or Bendy, as they call it. Uh, she's here at the Bureau of Normalcy. There's a lot of cool. Easter eggs for the Bureau of Normalcy as, as we've seen it in the season one. Uh, the switchboard operators are here. We have the MetaHuman Recruiting Center where Laura DeMille works. And uh, we get to see the Sisterhood of Dada as uh, the world kind of segregates MetaHumans, which is interesting because the Bureau of Normalcy itself is not racist. But they are meta-humanist. What is the term? Is there a Mm. word for this? Mutantist. There had to be no term in in X-Men. Then they have something. There has to be a term for this. It's not xenist, right? It it could be xenophobia. I think it's xenist because it's still genetics, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Eugenics. Or eugenics. Eugenesis. It'd be let us know if you're listening to the show. You, <laughs> I'm sure mutatious. I'm no, that's mutationist? not No, Mut- I don't think that's mm. it. I think it's either Zenus or Eugenus, something like that. Something we're, we're on to something there, but you know, they uh, the the staff for the the Bureau of Normalcy is quite diverse, which is something I, I really thought about being 1917. Uh, we still haven't hit the civil rights movement of the 60s. Um, or the women's suffragists is just around the corner. So uh, misogyny is seems to be resolved as well in the Bureau of Normalcy. But for metahumans, it is still a very segregated place, um, and this show definitely parallels um, the horrors of segregation, uh, which we see in today's episode. And we also see what privilege uh, can do when used... Uh, for good and we talked about it with cyborg but more importantly rita far handles it uh in today's episode and it's something we haven't seen before because even though rita far is a woman from uh the 1950s and she did have um a phobia for people who were disfigured in the pilot episode of the show um but we haven't really seen her racism called out not that she is racist in any way but she is from the 50s and that was a different time uh, different values. Uh, her privilege as a white woman has never been questioned before, uh, but it has been used in today's episode, which I think was a huge accomplishment for today's episode. Uh, Rita Farr is introduced to the Sisterhood of Dada and learns about the segregated uh, environment that they work in, and she uses her privilege or uh, lack of memory to uh, motivate her privilege, to use it in a way that establishes that uh, the sisterhood of Dada and metahumans alike can have a seat at the table. And I thought that was a really good call um, 
for the writers and, and the people who work on this show. I thought that was a, I thought that was something great because I think it shows frenzy. Um, uh, again, I'm forgetting his name again, <laughs> Lloyd Jefferson. I almost said Lincoln, uh, Lloyd Jefferson is showing him that, uh, people can use their privilege to try to make the world a better place. You know, there's a, there's a part earlier in today's episode where he asks them, or he, he tells Rita Farr why they can't really risk it is because they don't come from a place where they have that kind of privilege to risk things. They don't have anything else to risk in their lives. So asking them to risk things, uh, for, for a loss is, is not something that they can do. And he's speaking not just as a metahuman, but as a black man. So her using her privilege in today's episode to um, confront the Bureau of Normalcy is a huge progressive step and something to definitely aspire as a, as a, as a person who watches this show, as a person who loves superhero stories, this is a superhero moment, in my opinion. It's one of the highlights of today's episode, and I think it really defines what Rita Farr's impact is for the Doom Patrol and the Sisterhood of Dada and everything that they got going on in this Doom Patrol television show is exactly what Rita Farr does once she's already established in this uh in this 1917 environment, in this new setting that she's in. Um, I think that, to me, was the big takeaway in today's episode. But, Nate, what did you think about uh, the Bureau of Normalcy, the Sisterhood of Dada, and Rita Farr? Very interesting. It's very interesting. Um, Rita is, in fact, the world-renowned time traveler. I stand corrected. (laughs) Um, So that's really cool. Um, The Bureau is very very cool to think about um how they are doing the metahuman recruitment and there is the line of the able ones that they can use for weapons go to the front lines and that's crazy that's crazy and it just makes like so much sense coming from just like sci-fi and comic book knowledge of an agency in a you know past that is having metahumans and stuff, and they are using them as weapons. And then having that idea grow into what the Bureau turns into, um, you know, you see in 1917 is them working with metahumans, real, really using them as labor to, to do fight wars and whatnot. Um, but nonetheless, seeking metahumans to bring them in to use. Rather when Niles was a part of it, going to find the metahumans to take care of them and like either destroy them, kill them, or bring them back to study. Um, not so much as, as like going to find you like, hey, we need your help to come like fight a war, more so like, hey, we're going to just put a cap on you before you can do anything. Um, that's just really cool to think about how the Bureau changes in those years. Yeah. Um, the really cool thing is the Sisterhood of Dada itself and and what they are, the safe haven for metahumans. And if you think about that in relation to what Niles is doing, where, like, Niles is, like, it's kind of doing, it was kind of doing that. It's, here's mm-hmm. the, the idea. Is Niles is like, you are trying to help these people, but you're doing it by the rules of the bureaucracy. It's like, you're you're helping them, but you're still using them to do and gallivant on your own accord to find whatever elixir of life that you're trying to do in Holy Grail bullshit storyline. 
Um, selfish reasons. It's so selfish. And it's just like that idea of Niles like coming into the bureau, like working for them and realizing like, I'm just going to take that idea and do it selfishly is mm. so crazy to think about. Um, I am up in arms with Madame Rouge here because I don't know what the end game is and I love not knowing what the end game is. I really like thinking about her now as an opposite Niles Calder. Someone who was trying to do the right thing of give these metahumans a safe haven. Sleepwalk says it. She said, you know, she saved us. Lord DeMille saved us. If she didn't bring us in here and give us a job working here, we would be either dead or going to war type of thing. That's so cool. It really is cool. And I'm liking Michelle Gomez's character so, so much in this. And it's just the little, little bits of writing that we get with each episode that that give us a bigger picture of what Madame Rouge's character is in the series. It's so cool. Yeah. One of the interesting interesting things about Madame Rouge, the character, is that she has bipolar, uh, a bipolar disorder. So you kind of feel it in today's episode. You've kind of seen it throughout the series if you pay closer attention to it. But yeah, there is a volatile nature to... Laura DeMille, Madame Rouge, and Michelle Gomez really taps into it because at one moment she is very passionate about the information that she's diving into, and then there are times where she's frustrated and she's, um, she can appear uh, snappy and, and uh, aggressive. And then when you see her interacting with the Sisterhood of Dada as a member uh, in that addict, you feel a sense of a totally different personality, and you don't know if she's just uh, taking off the mask of, of working at the Bureau of Normalcy, or if she really is just having a kind of a different personality at this at this moment. Um, so it's something to look closer into. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Malcolm character. We hadn't talked about him yet, um, but the Malcolm character um, is, in, in the comic books, he's based off Agent, exclamation mark, um <laughs> check chick if you want to go by the band standard st- standard i don't know agent exclamation mark uh you kind of have to do uh the uh what is the what is that one movie called uh where it's like uh is it pootie tang what is it? you remember that movie i remember pootie tang where he's like his rapper name is now and it's like Oh yeah! Exclamation mark! Um, that's what I was and saying. A, like, if you a, go by the band, check, 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 like the band, check, check, check. Yeah. Um, and it's like one of those like automatopoeia things, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's it's silent, so it's agent, and uh, that's Malcolm's character is is finally introduced in today's episode. And one of the interesting about the character, so for anyone who doesn't know who the agent Malcolm character is, we'll just call him Agent Malcolm. Um. He, his ability is invisibility. That's his ability. And he says that uh, in the Battle of Verdun, or when he was in Verdun, uh, which is a uh, city in the country of France, where it's also one of the deadliest battles of World War One. It was probably one of the longest battles. I think this is where the book All Quiet on the Western Front is written in. Yeah. It's the Battle of Verdun. Yeah. You played um, in a battlefield game. Yeah. Or... Sandman, Verdun is the city where the church or like the occult they mm-hmm. summon Morpheus, yeah. the, uh, the the Sandman. 
and it happens in Verdun. So it's kind of also a cool uh, reference to the other Vertigo comic, Sandman. So he's in they he's been at the battle. He's been at the Western Front, uh, Verdun, and he says that he switched out his heart for a canary, which is all like awfully poetic and romantic if i do say so myself um not really too sure about the contents of his character just yet but uh first impression quite the romantic Mm -hmm. quite the romantic um now invisibility may be just what we're calling it now i was always under the impression that it was just blending in i mean chameleon-esque but i don't know if that is like a changing like shapeshifter type deal um but we did see invisibility in the episode so we're gonna go with that right um yeah excellent character excellent excellently poetic uh very 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 cool um very curious to see where it goes um i am still questioning of how he's able how how are him how how was how is how are why was he able to mm-hmm. stay in limbo, same with Rita, and not like pass out in the in the tunnel to the to to the underworld? Um that's something that we need to figure out. Yeah. There's a huge question mark on okay, if this is Malcolm who was in that valley of the souls or wherever the dead boy detectives Tunnel of the Souls. Tunnel of the Souls, excuse me. Excuse my mm. French, if you will. Um like how is he there? What has happened to him? Why wasn't Rita Farr uh, asleep like the others? We had our theories back when we did the review episode, um, and I spoke more cinematic, cinematically, like for writing purposes. They just didn't need to go into her um, her own afterlife, her personal afterlife. Um, but yeah, what is what is going on with the Malcolm character? How how does he get from nineteen seventeen? to basically limbo does maybe i don't know maybe he does have to go back into the war maybe he dies and maybe falls into limbo and he's been there ever since who knows um we'll have to keep watching the show to find out because i'm sure it's going to be a huge plot point um they subvert a romantic moment between him and rita far and i'm kind of glad that they did but i'm also wondering if it's the last we'll see of it because I don't know if they're going to continue pushing a romantic uh, situation between Rita and Malcolm. Um, I was always under the assumption that there would be a kind of hinted at relationship between her and Niles Calder, which I was looking more forward to seeing. Not that I really want to see that, that relationship happen, but I like when they hint at because Rita Farr has been there at, at Doom Manor so long with Niles Calder, did she, when she says she loved him, is there like a sense of actually uh, having fallen in love with him? So to bring Malcolm into the picture now uh, is interesting, and I'm not sure I'm on board with it. So I kind of like the subversion of uh, the kiss that almost happened between the two characters. So it's something to look forward to. But uh, let's do a quick rundown of uh, Agent Malcolm's history in the comic books. Uh, he's in the second iteration of the Brotherhood of Dada in the comic book, so you're looking further, whereas their original uh, conception of the Brotherhood of Dada happened in issue 26 of the 1980s run of Grant Morrison. We're skipping over to 1991, about 20 issues later, issues 49, 
where Mr. Nobody returns and he's got a whole new cast of Brotherhood of Dada members, one include, including Agent Malcolm here. And this is following that first arc where he captures Paris and he puts it in a painting and the arc is called The Painting That uh, Ate Paris. And now in the second iteration of the Brotherhood of Dada, he's trying to take the painting back into the real world and like and give the the Brotherhood of Dada a place in real world and bring them back into it. And so there's this idea of uh, making the metahumans part of the real world again. It's desegregating the world for how they view metahumans, which is how no, Mr. Nobody feels. Um, and to kind of parallel that with today's episode and all the segregation that we see in today's episode, you get that same sense that these characters that their safe haven is this addict. It's again, like how do we bring those people into the modern world and desegregate it and, and be a bit more whole? Um, we kind of see that with the painting that sleepwalk and the quiz are constructing in the background at one point in the episode. And I had to ask you, Nate, cause I, I wasn't too sure what they were drawing but I think you might be on the right page where you're saying that this might be the painting that they live in. I think that's the painting that stole Paris. You think it will steal Paris? I think that's that part. will. I think that painting will steal Paris. It's possible that they, they might still do it. I know they did Cloverton where they stole Cloverton and put it in a painting, but yep, it, they do the same thing. Do the same shtick, hmm. and would also tie into whatever. Sisterhood of Dada and Brotherhood of Dada or Brotherhood of Nobody and I don't know loosely have a have a connection to what Mr. Nobody was doing with the painting that stole Paris. I mean it um, would be it would, <laughs> it would be quite the finale if it was like okay now we've got the Brotherhood of Dada and the Sisterhood of da- uh Sisterhood of Dada that's Brotherhood, Brotherhood of, of Evil, evil. Mm-hmm. and the Sisterhood of Dada and they joined forces and then Mr. Nobody enters the picture again also you got Beard Hunter is, is still in that painting as well, so I guess I guess he's part of the crew as well. Um, but yeah, it, there's there's a whole gaggle of of Doom Patrol villains that could potentially and naturally just convene, conference up. Well, so let's where's see, Animal Vegetable well, Mineral Man? Right, because the painting is still in Doom Manor, I guess. Right, so that painting that Mister Nobody utilized. Mm-hmm. But from what the Sisterhood of Dada was working on, that did look like the easel and the drawing, I guess. I don't know if it looks so much as the drawing, but it did look like the easel that was in the attic of the painting that stole Paris. Yeah, it does. That Yeah. When you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that does look like it. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, I would think that maybe that's their safe haven. That's where they actually live and so when it comes time to like okay we got to find the sisterhood of dada it's in that painting go in the painting yeah that's where they've been hiding that's where they've been uh doing their weekly meetings and so possibly that could be something that we see again they have to go back into another painting i would love that concept because i think that's a beautiful concept and who knows if it if it if it means that the white space is a a place that they could also exist with Mr. Nobody in that same reality. That's just DC Comics for you. That's that's the good stuff. So 
Um, that's the the source wall stuff. I call it the white space. I think that's something else. I don't. I don't. No, know. isn't it? a source wall is the same thing. Source walls in yes, that's it. Yeah, the source wall. <laughs> that's what it was called. Um, and we've I, we've seen that happen in Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. If I'm not mistaken, or maybe it's a different DC Comics, but I've seen it happen where they actually go into the border of the comic book that you're reading. And so as you're reading it, you're like, oh, the characters are now outside the source wall because technically they're outside of the panel and they're on the the white space of of the pages that you're reading. So, yeah. Um, That, to me, was like one of the other kind of seeds that they're planting along with Robot Man selling his plans. It's like, okay, oh, Sleepwalk and Quiz are fiddling with some project over there and you see them drawing on this easel with this uh uh structure of of paris architecture so who knows what's going to happen but yeah Mm -hmm. i think you're right it might actually be um the painting that that you see in the 20 issue 26 grant morrison doom patrol run so a lot of cool stuff to look forward to um before we wrap up nays or anything you wanted to talk about today's episode before we we do wrap up the show no i think we covered it all i'm still just so excited that the sisterhood of dada is is still with us and it's not just a a weekly thing and you know we're not moving on yet it's like it's the bigger arc of of the season that's it's what we wanted man I'm, i'm excited for it i'm here for it no that's pretty much all i got yeah, I, I I will 100% agree with you. It's great to see that these characters are sticking around for for the grand arc of things. Uh, they handled it well with season two and doing the whole Dorothy Candlemaker arc. Um, so to see both the Brotherhood of Dada and the sis mm, did it again, the brother Brotherhood of Evil and the Sisterhood of Dada in the same season as kind of driving forces for what happens in the show. I'm glad that they are a thing and they're not just one-offs um but they also did handle the one-offs correctly with um the butterfly collector um and uh, and gargoax and um Mm -hmm. all that stuff and paraguay so cool well if you guys enjoyed everything you heard from us today please find us on facebook and twitter at radio doom patrol or doom patrol radio just type it into the google search box there because i'm sure you're not using bing and find us let us know what you thought about today's episode if you guys enjoy the show five-star review really helps promote the show on that search engine optimization you guys have all heard it before in your digital media class so please help us out in supporting the show and promoting it a little bit Uh, tell your friends if they also love the doom patrol show as well you can also find us on duelinggenre.com where we guest on a bunch of episodes we will be doing a bonus episode for DC Fandom, which is like the giant virtual DC Comics convention that's happening. Uh, if you're listening to this, the, the day it came out, which is Friday, tomorrow is DC Fandom. So check out DC Fandom and then come listen to us talk about it when we release that episode talking about all the great stuff that we got to see. And uh, without further ado, DJ, please take it away. ominous warning and a mysterious voice. Will we uncover the fate of Malcolm 
And what nefarious plan does the Sisterhood have for residents of Doom Manor? Tune in next time here on Doom Patrol Radio.